Welcome to the Rev Engine Podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders get clarity on how to align sales and marketing, build a high-performing revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth for their organizations. I'm your host, Jeff Davis, author of award-winning book, Create Togetherness, and founder of Rev Engine. Hey, everybody, it is Jeff Davis with another episode of the Rev Engine podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders align sales and marketing, transform the revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth. Today's guest is Scott Gillum. He is the founder and CEO of Carbon Design. They are an agency that uses the power of audience insight and personality to cut through a noisy marketplace increase conversations, engagement, and revenue for clients. Uh, I'm excited to have him on the show. I was actually introduced uh, to him by another podcast guest uh, as we were kind of talking through economic uncertainty and some of the things you can do to move the needle and really engage with the modern B2B buyer in a different way. And I think Scott and his his team really have harnessed the power of personality and really understanding deep insights into uh, buyers in order to be able to have better conversations and to also find those folks that are causing your deal to either die or delay. So I don't want to give too much away. I want Scott to get into the work that he's done and the, the, comp- the great company he's built. So Scott, I will hand over the floor to you to tell people a little bit about your background, and then we will jump into the conversation. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff. And I appreciate being on the podcast. You did a great intro. So I'm just going to say goodbye and have a good weekend. <laughs> Thanks, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to do it before I say anything, it gets me in trouble. My background connects to where we are today. I spent early part of my career management consulting, did that for a dozen years. And I spent seven years working for a B2B agency, one of the largest B2B agencies in the world and been in sales and marketing my entire life. And one of the things that I was curious about when I founded Carbon Design, actually there are two big things that I was really curious about that I saw as problems and I was trying to figure out how we could create solutions for them. One was, and this is in 2017, was why people weren't engaged in work anymore. So if you look at the Gallup Engagement Index, which has been around for 20 years, you could have seen the great resignation coming. It was sitting out there, people were engaged in work. So I tried to figure out how we could create an organization that would get people more engaged. And I read Daniel Pink's book called Drive. And in it, he tells you clearly how to engage people. You give them purpose, autonomy, and mastery. And so that's what we built Carbon Design on, is allow people to have flexible work styles, work remote, work wherever you are, we don't really care. And what we want you to do is create quality outputs, keep customers happy and how you get there, totally up to you, right? So there's no time cards. We use freelancers, contractors. We tapped into the stay at home moms. Basically it was very much like cloud computing, unused capacity, we tapped into it. So that's on the the delivery side. On the other side was why after all these advancements in technology, and this is the connection with uh, Dr. Dover, have we not improved in our performance in sales and marketing? And so that set us on the quest to try to figure out how do we get to really understanding how do we make real improvements in sales and marketing? And that's what's led us down the path today to what we're going to talk about. Yeah, I love that. And and you are right. One of the reasons that I was really intrigued by your work in, in reading, kind of studying for the, the podcast is that we've had this tsunami of B2B sales tech, right? Marketing tech has always been there and it's the kind of the more mature industry, but sales tech has really, really leaps and has grown leaps and bounds over the years. But the corresponding increase in sales productivity effectiveness has not followed. And so we have to ask ourselves then, I have always advocated, don't start with technology, 
and I think that the data has you know sussed out to reinforce that is that you can't start with technology. That's not the solution. Uh, there's other things that you need to fix in your your go to market strategy or your approach before you adopt the technology. So you talk about a couple of sales myths that I want to kind of address because I think it. I always like to kind of start with where people's fundamental mindset is now and how we need to help them shift that. And so I wanted to kind of break down each those three of them and just kind of get a little bit of more information from you and backgrounds to help people really understand. So the first one is all individuals in a role are the same with the identical needs, preferences, motivations, and behaviors, sell to personalities, not titles. Tell us what that means. It's so obvious that when we present it, people are like, duh, right? We have a habit of, and we do it because of our technologies and our process to simplify things that aren't simple. There isn't one type of personality sitting in a C-level role that you're targeting. So you can't address them the same way every time, right? So you can't target a CFO with the same kind of content, with the same kind of approach, because you have at a minimum 16 different personality types sitting in that in that role. And in certain industries, and what we do find based on the seniority of people is that you start to migrate into becoming who you are as a profession, right? So your personality reflects the role that you play. And so the fact that we could have, and to simplify it, four macro category of personality types sitting in a title that we are targeting and we write a persona around means that there's, we're not effective from the gate. Like, if we create content and we approach based on what we think the need is inside that organization, that is surface level. It's not going to connect with the audience at the level that really will differentiate your message or will get you to a point where they can see value in it. And in order to be able to actually differentiate yourself in the marketplace, you have to be able to create a personal connection. If you don't know the understand or understand the person's personality, you won't know their motivations, you won't know their behaviors, and you won't make a connection that actually moves them or gets them to advocate for you. Yeah. And without getting too deep in the conversation, I want to play devil's advocate a little bit. So as a marketing leader, I hear that, right? Like I need to personalize my approach, you know, it needs to be one-to-one. Is that scalable in a large organization? How do we approach that? Yeah. So just as a way of background of how I just made that statement is that for the past four years, we've been using AI personality profiling to be able to create marketing content and sales approaches in particular around ABM programs. And so we study industries, we looked at five industries. And when we first started doing this, the people that we are working for our clients were said, oh my God, you know, I can't come up with 16 different types of content to handle 16 different I'm stressed just, I'm stressed just talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and one-to-one, right? The one-to-one is like, holy cow, how do I ever get there, right? But you don't have to. What's super interesting is that personality types happen to work in industries. Certain personality types are drawn to certain industries and they're certain and they're drawn to certain roles. So across the five industries that we've looked at, we find two dominant personalities that make up 65 to 75% of those customers or prospects. So you really only have to narrow in and crafting your content that's specific for two different types of personalities. And you get you 70% of the marketplace. All right. That's a little bit more doable. Yeah. All right. So the second sales myth that you talk about is we assume that our, I actually really love this one. And this reminds me like when I was carrying the bag, we assume that our contact will advocate for our solution within the buying group. Yeah. And I carried a bag as well. And you think you've got a friendly and you think you've got a coach and you think they're going to do something for you, but there is a personality type that is considered to be the, the 
<laughs> false positive. They are the time waster, but they will tell you what's going on, going on inside the organization. They'll give you all the time and they will not advocate for you. And they won't advocate for you because they're very loyal to their internal stakeholders. They want to be a part of the team. They will always put the team first. And so they don't move until the entire team moves. They, there's nothing you can do to get them to move. So that's one personality type. The other personality type that is a false positive that you think is on your side is an influencer. Influencers scan horizon, love new ideas, love shiny objects. So animated videos, any demos you can do, they'll be really into it, have typically a high level title in organizations, but they don't know anything. They're gathering information to tell someone else about it, forward it to someone else that they believe has a need. They just like to hunt. They like to find things that are really cool to inform others, hence the term an influencer. And so we chase, as salespeople, we chase these people around and it doesn't go anywhere. And uh, it just leads to a lot of frustration. When we profile ABM programs and we look at how they're lining the global account managers or enterprise account managers or the account managers against the buyers inside the account, they're chasing oftentimes these false positives. These people are very nice to them, but won't do anything for them. Yeah, the, the reason it resonated with me, I remember when I was, was carrying a bag uh, earlier in my career as a salesperson, is, you know, you face a lot of rejection, you face a lot of no, and it's always you're trying to find that one person that will give you an in. And when it happens, there's like this dopamine rush of like, oh, I found somebody, I found an advocate, someone will talk to me. And what you learn as you mature in your, your sales career is that you have to really assess, is that person just talking to you because they don't, <laughs> they don't have anything else to do, or they like you? But a lot of times, to your point, it doesn't lead to meaningful conversations. It doesn't lead to actual sales motion. Now, depending on the person in their position, you, you can leverage it as getting information about the organization sometimes. But again, that doesn't lead necessarily to closed business. And that's tough sometimes because, you know, you want somebody to actually say yes for once. Yeah. Yeah. You think they're on your side. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they're not. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. All right. So the third one is we assume engagement signals intent. Yes. This is one of my favorites. And there's a lot of different levels to this. Again, I mentioned these personality types. There are two personality types that engage in content, but they do it for different reasons. Okay. The influence I just mentioned is constantly scanning horizon. And when we look at lean nurturing programs, we find influencers all over it because they show up at webinars, they download material, they show up at your events by your booth, they're very curious and they want to stay ahead of everybody else inside the organization. They want to see what's new and they want to see what's going on and they'll disappear. So they'll hit you and then they'll disappear for a period of time and then they come back again. So God forbid somebody at a VP level or higher hits something and then what we used to call in you know sales profession, turtle on you, right? Disappear for a while. And then they show back up again. They're a classic influencer. And they're engaging, but they're engaging because they're curious. They have no intent whatsoever to solve a problem. They're just curious. The other one is the, the steady, which is a status quo seeker. You will find on your e-newsletters, they want to stay in the loop because they really want to know what it means to them personally. So is something going to happen that's going to disrupt their status quo, right? These are people who love Monday through Friday, you know, eight to six kind of work hours with no disruption, like, and interesting enough, when we find these people at a higher level, they also don't want to disrupt their team. They're very, very nice people. And they really try to seek a calm work environment. So if you're coming in hard with a disruptive message, and I'm a big fan of Challenger, but if you're coming in with that approach into this type of buyer, you're DOA from the very beginning, you're going to scare them off. Interesting. 
Okay, so let's get a little deeper into the, the four personality types. So the, some of the latest research shows, I think it's from Gartner, there are actually up to 17 people in the buying group now. And I might be aging myself. I remember that number was like eight to 10. And now it's 17, which is just crazy to think about. So what makes me feel good is that you talk about I don't have to worry about four personality types. So <laughs> that seems a little easier to consume and manage. So go ahead. You were going to say something. Yeah. I'll just tell you a quick little story about that. So I was attending a meeting at Gartner and they rolled this out. And they said there's 17 different individuals involved in and a purchase decision. And I'm like, that can't be, right? So the next week I'm kicking off a, a workshop with a client. And one of the first things that we had to do is identify what audience that we're going to be addressing. So we went around the room, up on a whiteboard, starting right down, who's our key audience? We got 17. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, oh my God, we got 17 people. And I'm like, well, I guess there's validation. But anyway, here's the good news. So the good news is that we only have to sell to four of them. <laughs> well, four personality types. Here's where we sell to. The other ones we influence. So the work that we do is that we aggregate data coming out of whatever marketing system that pulls we can find engagement data and then we pull anything sales related. So we're pulling out from Salesforce and we're looking at opportunities. And what we're doing is we're doing postmortems on closed one and lost deals. And so what we have found when we go through that is yes, there is a group that it comes in and out of that deal and it can be 12, it can be 20 coming through that course of that deal. And, and those deals take 12, 18 months in B2B and complex consider purchases. Here's the good news. We usually find a core group of deal drivers, as we call them, that is less than six people. And it's often, there's three or four that are tagged to this opportunity that for whatever reason, and I'll tell you that in a second, they drive the deal through. They stay with it for the 12 months, 18 months, 20 months, and they drive it through. So 17 may be involved, but there's a core group that drive deals through the organization. That's the group you have to get to. Now, for, as it relates to the personality types, that core group has distinctive personality types. And they are the influencers at the very beginning, bringing the idea in, as I mentioned, right? We see them all the time. They are showing up, engaging, pulling information, talking to peers and getting things started. They're great at selling ideas inside the organization, but they got to give it to somebody. And the person you want, the personality type that you want them to give it to is a dominant. Dominance are project managers, they're drivers, they're very career ambitious. It's very easy to identify a dominant personality. You just go to their LinkedIn profile and they've been working 20 years. They'll have like 18 updates, 18 updates on their roles and titles and jobs on LinkedIn. They're very easy to identify, right? That's the person you want. Those dominant drivers through the organization, they stick to it. And the closer you can get it to a personal win for them, a promotion, recognition inside the organization, feature them on your website, build case studies around them, offer them a higher level of service, connecting them on a personal level, they'll push that through. And if you can pick up other dominants along the way, a lot of times they sit in finance and procurement also, they'll get that deal done for you. As you go along, you're going to influencer to dominant. And then as you're getting towards the end, this is where we see it a lot of times comes the conscientious. So by the way, we use disc, disc segmentation. There's a lot of different ways. You can use ocean. You can use a bunch of different things. Myers-Briggs even. You don't need to go down the individual personality types. You can stay at the higher level, right? So we use disc. Skeptics, conscientious people, the skeptics. This is super interesting about buying groups. They show up at the end to kick the tires and really push on the vendors and they'll unbundle deals. 
and the buying group defaults to the skeptics to be the last kind of step along the way to make sure this deal and this vendor and this whatever it is that we're going to implement or integrate makes sense for the organization, they default to that person. It's fascinating. And so we've watched deals where we can see people engaging and we'll see a conscience have come in. We saw one deal, $300,000 deal. This woman came in and she unbundled the deal down to $180,000, took out all those other things and just cut to the core of the solution. And if you could see that coming, you could prepare. So those types of people, they will want references, right? They're totally like they want a source of information coming from the most credible source. So customer that looks like them, one of your subject matter experts that they can really drill into and ask a lot of questions. So you find those people at the very end. And sometimes you find the studies, as I mentioned, and the way that you get through the studies is you have to move the entire buying group. They won't move on their own, but if you can get the influencer to sell the study, you can make progress. Influencers are better at selling than the studies are at blocking. Influencers are better at selling then the steady is it blocking. Okay. The influencers can move the steady because they know enough about that person because they work with them to know how to move them. The other thing about the studies that you can use is they're very empathetic. They're very concerned about their team, what this might mean in terms of stressing out the IT resources that you have to have to engage to implement. So they're very, very nice people and they're very empathetic. And that's an opportunity for you to have a nice conversation and really lead with empathy. So you mentioned DISCs. I was trying to, to delineate. So when I was kind of learning about the framework you guys have developed, and we'll go into the each to the different personality types, how is it different complementary to DISC? What's the difference between the two frameworks? Okay. So for the audience, let me just tell you some easy ways to find this kind of tool to use. Crystal Notes is a provider and it's easy. It's a Chrome extension and you can just load it up. And when you pull up a LinkedIn profile, it will profile for you. You can also do your own profile and it'll match. XIQ is a partner of ours. We use that tool to do our profiling and to do our matching. They're ahead of the curve. They're really very, very good. And they're also becoming very good at understanding the group management and the dynamics of personality types interacting with each other. Humantics AI, there's a bunch of different vendors that are out there that can help you provide that insight. So this works off of four macro categories of personality types that you can then drill in in each quadrant, there's four more. And that's a lot like Myers-Briggs, right? There's 16 different personality types you can use. Ocean is more, I think, more built around segmentation of marketplaces. And I think it's harder to take action against to say, what do I do based on what I'm seeing in an Ocean profile? So Ocean profile profiles in each, it's openness, it's conscientious, it's empathy. That's much more oriented around consumers, I think, and much more oriented around building segments to target. Okay. For your four distinct personality types, they include the influencer, the champion, the challenger, and the steady. Yes. So I'd like to kind of, at a high level, go through each one of these so people can get an idea of how to identify them and then how to potentially leverage, engage, or move them so that the deal moves forward. Is that cool? Yeah. Okay. So we'll start with personality one. So we talked a little bit about the influencer. How do we identify them? And I know we talked a little bit about it, but let's, let's get a little bit more granular. Like how do you identify them in a deal? And then how do we potentially leverage them or move them out of the way or use them in order to help the deal go through? So you have influencers in your life, in your personal life, and here's who they are. They are the people who are telling you about the latest restaurant, the latest band, the latest cocktail. They are the ones who are always searching and finding the latest. 
that's what they do. Latest trends, whatever it is. That's hence that's also, you know, in the consumer world, influencers, right? Same thing. So that's who they are. And, and then in the business world, they keep a loose schedule. They'll meet with vendors. They meet with vendors intentionally to just find out what's going on in the marketplace, but they just want to stay current. They want to see what's going on. They attend events. You're going to find an abundance in them because they like to network with others. They actually like to go into the trade show area, the booths, check out things. So they're out there. They have a tendency to have a higher level title. You'll find them up at like VP, SVP titles. They disappear on you. They like animated videos. They like content. When you look at your engagement and what content's being engaged in, they like infographics. They like animated videos. They like things that are short, convey a lot of information very clearly and very quickly so that they can forward it to someone else. And what's really important about tracking influencers is it's not engagement that's important. It's about sharing. For that particular audience, you want to track your sharing and trying to figure out where it's going. So there's different ways you can do that, but that's an influencer. They're very, very good at selling ideas. Very good. And, and as a salesperson, once you have an influence, you have to understand they're not going to own anything. They're going to give it to someone else, but they can come back and help you. Cause if you start to run into roadblock, they can come back and sell that original idea that got people excited about. And so bringing them back into a deal as you get further down to getting a decision and it gets slowed down, bring the influencer back. So you can think of the influencer, they are able to sell the idea. They're the ones that you're going to really use, I guess, to advocate for you in the organization. Is that fair? Yeah. But here's an interesting thing. So I mentioned, we looked at all these deals. I've only seen an influencer turn into a blocker once, and it was super interesting. Okay. To a salesperson, they may appear to be a blocker because they're not advocating for you. They're not advocating for you because they don't have the need. <laughs> so oh, right. you're chasing them around and they're, they're like, not, I gave it to somebody answer. else already. Right. But here's the real instance where they became a blocker. And this is really important as it relates to sales. They want to own the idea. You have to sell them on it's their idea. I saw a blocker block a deal because the rep was selling it as their idea and the company's idea. And this is a CMO sitting on, you know, a C-level conversation and they did it in a meeting of the C-level decision makers and they didn't get credit to the CMO that it was her idea to do this, blew the deal. So we came back, recovered, diagnosed what was going on. Like, here's the problem. You can't do this in a group setting. That's the other thing. If you want to convince an influencer, you take them one-on-one, -on -one. never do it in a group meeting. Just you embarrass them, right? So take them behind the curtain, convince them the idea and give them credit for it. All right. So personality number two is the, the champion. So how do we identify the champion? Okay. So in the DISC model, they profile as the dominant, but we call them the champion because they champion ideas. Dominants are head down, get things done inside the organization. So they're not scanning the horizon. And when they have a need, they will go to an influencer to find out sources of where could they find a vendor or who could they talk to in the organization. So there's strong connection between dominants and influencers. So dominants are head down, get it done. We just profiled the CEOs of Fortune 500. 46% of them are dominants. So just, just less than half. Okay. Yeah. Dominants will appear as a blocker because they're very savvy at reading the organization. When a deal happens at the organization, it's built off of motivation. And this is by far, here's the, the, the key tip for anybody who's selling. The number one indicator, whether your deal is going to get done or not, is you understanding the motivations. And you have to understand at three levels. What's the organization's motivation to solve this problem? What's this group's motivation to solve this problem? And what's this individual's motivation to solve this problem and advocate for you? 
and push your solutions. You understand those three things, which is rarely done. You will be able to move opportunities through organizations. So the problem with dominance and the reason that they appear to be a blocker is they jump on something, they'll drive it hard. You think you're making a lot of progress and then it just stalls. We have more deals stall than we lose. That stalls because that dominant has moved on to something else. So something else has become a priority with that person. And there's been a shift in the motivation and they're very good at skating where the puck is because they're career ambitious, right? So they see a shift at the corporate level and they'll skate in front of whatever the corporation saying, this is our priority right now, or at the functional level, this is what the new priority is. So they'll drop you. They don't tell you they'll drop you as a priority and they'll go shift on the other priority. Good news is once a dominance take care of where that is, they may come back to this. So this is also the group that you have to make the personal connection to. This is the one that really you connect to what this means for them. You know, the old what's in it for me and they listen to the station. This is the personality type is you really got to connect this to say, okay, this is what it means to you. And this is why you want to do it. And you have to do it in a subtle way. It can't be over like you'll get a new job out of this. You'll get a promotion. You just have to make it very clear what it means to them. Okay. And so then the way that we're leveraging them, they are going to drive it to completion. How else should we be thinking about positioning them in the deal? I mean, we've talked to the influencer, the influencer we've sold, they're going to sell the idea. The dominant comes in, they seem to partner very well together. The dominant's going to drive it. Obviously we're at risk that they get distracted by something that is going to be more self-serving. So we have to be thoughtful of that. Are there any other things you would be thinking about as far as like when we identify the driver so we or the blocker? I'm sorry, the champion, I apologize. Just, just to make sure that we're communicating with them the right way. Yeah, this is also a person that you have to have very relevant case studies or use cases. As much as you can replicate their situation is the better off you're going to be. So if you're selling to somebody in life sciences and it is in the area of clinical trials, do that. Show an example as close to, as you possibly can so that they can see themselves in it. So it's it's like selling a house, right? You want the people to start to see themselves in the house. If you watch HGTV, people are always in the kitchen looking out the window with a fake coffee. My, I could see myself looking out this view in the morning when I'm drinking my coffee. That's what you do with the dominant. You put them in that situation. So that's a good comment that you make because I think there's an implication to our marketing colleagues about what type of content you develop for these different personality types. And so, and you can tell me if I'm right on this one. And we actually talked about it, like short videos, infographics, things that talk about ideas at a very high level of how the market is shifting, how what you're doing today is not relevant. They're more open probably to blowing things up because they want to stay ahead of everybody else. Whereas it sounds like the champion wants tried and true, this has worked for somebody else, I can do it. And if once I'm convinced, then I'm gonna drive it through this organization. It's absolutely true. And here's the other dynamic between influencers and champions. Influencers have more ideas than an organization has people to implement, right? So they may keep coming to the dominant. And I was like, no, I, I don't have any time. My plate is full, right? It sounds like a great idea. Put it on the chart for next year. That's why, you know, they're very good at filtering out what really is important for the organization. Having roadmaps. Having realistic ROIs in their world, and this is in general, for skeptics and for the champions, building ROIs that talk much more about risk reduction than the upside works better. All right. So personality number three is the challenger. Let's learn a little bit more about him or her. Okay. So I love the challengers. My dad's a challenger. I grew up with the challenger. They're tough. This sounds very personal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is my therapy session now. Challengers chew up new reps. 
like it is sport for them. What they do is they ask questions and will challenge you, hence the term, right? Until they exhaust you. And that, that often happens with new reps is they appear to be blockers because the challengers ask questions to learn and you've got to give them reasonable answers and they don't care about your opinion. This is a person who wants data research client examples. And so they're no nonsense. Don't give them your opinion, especially if you don't have, you know, if you're talking to somebody who's been 20 years in the industry and you're going to tell them how something ought to be your DOA again, when you present to a challenger, don't say new, just say an advancement or enhancement. And if you throw out any data point it, immediately, they're going to match it with what's in their head. If it doesn't match, they're going to come back at you. They're going to want to know your, where your source is. How do you prove that? If you can't stand on it, you've got to be prepared for a conversation with a challenger. You do not go cold talking to a challenger. That'll be a quick conversation. Five minutes, you're out. You're done. Credibility is everything for challengers. Here's the other really interesting thing about them. So we work in cybersecurity. CISOs, Chief Information Security Officers, dominance. They, personality type, conscientious skeptic, 60, 65% of the time. And you kind of want that, that person in that role to be a skeptic. Their top four information sources, all people-oriented channels. They don't look at anything. So they're talking peers, they're talking influencers, they're talking experts. So any information, and we actually built this for a client of ours, it's a credibility marketing program. Everything that they did had to build their credibility. Where they put articles and publications had to be the most credible publications. The events that they attend had to be the most credible. The people they profiled or put into webinars, most credible source. That's how you get through those challenger skeptics. It's interesting. You made me think of something that happened to me many, many years ago when I was carrying the bag when I was in the field. So for folks that know me, the early part of my career, I was a healthcare sales rep. And I had this office, I remember them to this day, and I will not say any names, that I think every single physician in that office was a challenger. And coming in as a new rep, you know, luckily I had, you know, really strong training and I identified real quick. I was like, they are not playing games. I really spent a lot of my beginning of my relationship building credibility and understanding what was important to them. Cause partly I was like terrified of saying something that was like not correct and them calling me out on it. And so over the years, you know, I built credibility and it was a great relationship and we did very well. And I remember one time and I'd been in this office for years, I talked about a claim between two pro our product and a competitor, you know, cause we had a lot of similarities between the two products and to be transparent, like I was trying to pull for straws. So I wanted more market share, let's call space Bay. And they're both great products and whatever. So one of the physicians was like, I don't believe that's true. Jeff Davis, I don't believe you. First of all, I would never walk up in this office and say something that's not true because I know who I'm dealing with. And they all laugh because it's the truth. So he ended up pulling, what was it called? A PDRF, which is a like physician desk reference, right? Looks it up and he was like, I have to apologize. You were exactly right. Can we now move on? So it's it's interesting to your point of like, I learned really quickly and I didn't have the language of calling them the you know, challengers, but they would ask questions. And it, it wasn't done in the spirit to like gotcha so i mean and that, that instance was because we were kind of joking around and we laughed and i'd been there for years it always felt like i wanted to learn i wanted to verify something didn't quite sound right make it make sense to be not necessarily trying to catch you up but you just had to come correct as they say and know your stuff yeah and here's the great thing about challengers the reason why i like them is that becoming if they trust you and you are credible they will be on your side and they're great advocates so if you can turn them they're a very big supporter for you, your brand, your products, your solutions. And here's the other funny thing about it. Every personality I'm describing, we know these people in our lives. Oh, totally. 
it's not rocket science, even though we use AI tools to be able to do these profiling, we know these people. And as you said, you walked into the office, you knew what you were up against. Yeah, I didn't have the language, but, and it's funny you say that because once I did establish credibility, my conversations got a lot easier. They're like, yeah, 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 uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Because I had shown repeatedly, like, I'm not gonna come in here and, and do this whole like BS and like, you know, make up stuff and make it feel this way and that sort of thing. And so our relationship actually, to your point, once you turn the corner and they trust you that you are consistently credible, then it becomes a much easier conversation they will advocate on your behalf. So, all right, the fourth personality is the steady. This is the tough one, man. This is- uh, That's why it's fourth personality. Yeah, this is a rough one. <laughs> And you also know these people in your lives. These are the status quo seekers. These are the people that they take a lot of convincing and they need to get there with the help of others. They're, they're not going to get there on their own. They're the nicest people that you're going to run into. They're going to give you time. Like, like I mentioned, they're going to give you information, but they are much more concerned about their teammates and being a member. I wrote an article about them. I said, they're the offensive line. They don't want the ball. They're not going to get you a touchdown. They're in there grinding and they like being a part of the team and they love their teammates. And that's what it is. And to bring them along, you have to bring the entire team along. Whoever the decision makers, you got to bring them all together. They got to feel safe that this is a good decision. As I mentioned earlier, they're very empathetic. And so this is the person that you really connect with on a very personal level. And you try to understand their situation in the organization. You don't pressure them. You don't box them into a corner. Don't try to get them to make a decision because they're not going to do it. And you can actually ruin the relationship. We built an ABM program for one of our clients and their two key contacts were studies and their deal was not moving inside the organization. And so when we did the profile and we said, look, if you do an end around on these people, they will take it personally. You will hurt the relationship inside the organization. And they laughed because they tried and they <laughs> and it did not go out. well. They did. They did damage. And so you have to understand that this is the, the person that you're dealing with. What you do is you go find someone else in the buying group to help move them. And that influencer is very good at that. Influencer is very good at bringing them along. If the conscientious is on the team working with the steady, the conscientious, the conscientious goes, the steady will go. The conscientious says, it's okay. We can do this. We're probably going to see a benefit from it. They'll go along. And so just know what you're dealing with. You're not going to move them. Don't box them in. Don't go around them. Just connect with them. Feel for them and, and do what you can do to help them in their situation. So when you talk about their commitment to the status quo or comfort with the status quo, is that internally driven or is that more about their team being safe? You know, it's a fine line, whether it's status quo or not. It's calm. It's peace. It's peaceful environment. They don't like the boat rocking. They'll move off of this, but they want to make sure it's not disruptive to others. Again, they connect with people really, really well. And so they don't want to feel like they're going to put the organization at risk or a group at risk. In this particular case, I was describing with a client, they thought that they were protecting IT. IT had other priorities and IT had resources that were fully exhausted. They were fully like staffed and they had open positions. Right. And they could feel that they didn't want to put any additional strain on the IT organization. And so having really good conversations about what's really going on inside the organization, like stop talking about yourself, stop talking about your solution, find out from them what's going on inside the organization, and then figure out what strategy is. You made me think about uh, Daniel Pink's book. I think I read that, I don't know, three or four years ago, Everybody Sells. Yeah. And he talks about the ambidextrous salesperson. What are the implications of the work that you're doing on the way in which B2B start with sales leadership? 
B2B sales leadership should be developing their organizations to connect with the modern buyer because I, I think things have changed. How do we use these insights to talk about how we coach and maybe even hire salespeople that are going to be effective in today's environment? That's a topic for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, we need two podcasts for that one. <laughs> what I would say is that in B2B selling, it is complex, consider process, and you can't oversimplify it with tools. If you look at the tools that we're using, they only track the rational stages or activities that are occurring. Any of the softer side of it, right? It's all the hard things that we, it, like our tools are all built legacy manufacturing process, right? It's like input in here, think about any pipeline or funnel if you've ever seen, you put this in, this comes out the other end. And it doesn't work that way. And the more that we start to really lean on all these tools that we have, the further away we get away from selling to humans and people, it's a people, people situation, right? People don't just buy you, they buy into you. That doesn't show up in any of our tools. People reflect their own interest in their decision-making and we don't capture that anyway. I mentioned earlier that motivation is the most important thing at the three different levels, that's not captured anymore. So as a salesperson, you're coaching, that's what you coach on. Their tools are going to capture all the stages and the activity and all these kind of rational things that are important. You're going to have to coach on the softer side of selling, understanding who the organization is, how they behave. Why does an organization want to solve this problem? Why don't they want to do it now? Why is it a priority over other things? That's where good sales coaching and sales management comes in. And that's a great insight too, because I think for a lot of frontline managers, and obviously every organization is different, you are coaching to the metrics that we've already captured in the organization. Yeah, it's already in the system. Right. And what you really should be talking about in those kind of one-on-one -on -one conversations, so those business reviews are the softer side of, or soft skills and the, like the, the essence of the account, the organization, like what their goals and motivations, all that sort of stuff that you can't necessarily capture in a CRM. Yeah. Hank Barnes at Gartner's done some great research around corporate cultures, right? So think of, of a corporation as a human and it has certain behaviors and it has certain motivations as well. And he's done some really good great research around what drives decision-making in organizations. That's really valuable to understand, right? So if you're having your weekly sales meetings, go through and dissect the accounts and the opportunities to get down into those softer factors, like what's motivating the organization. It, Quiz the reps, right? Do you understand why is this person that you're dealing with going to advocate for us inside the organization? Let them try to figure that out. That's important. I really love that mind shift because for a lot of, you know, a lot of my sales career, it's not that we never had those conversations, but it sounds like if I were put into a sales leader role today or tomorrow, I would focus more heavily or over index on having conversations about the motivation of the organization. What is the culture? who in this deal is going to help us and who do we need to connect with who and like what motivates them. Those things are more important because when you get that kind of organizational hygiene, like understanding all of that stuff, that's really going to allow you and set you up for success versus, you know, how many calls did you make on them? You know, what content did you share? All that sort of stuff. Yeah. And this is my concern about AI making its way in the sales and marketing. AI is going to be built off of machine learning. That machine learning is going to be off those tangible results at, how long did it stay at this stage, right? It's going to build off of all these things that we have in our tools and systems right now at Archive, like this type of buyer inside of this organization bought this product and it took this long, right? So it's going to model that probability. It won't pull in any of the softer things. And so it's going to pump out and we're going to end up with the same results that we have today using AI.
it's not necessarily going to make something better because it's pulling information that is incomplete. I, I wrote an article a few uh, months ago for the drum around, we only see half of the deal. If that you think about the visibility, what happens in making a deal happen over 18 months, our systems maybe catch a third of that, maybe 10% of that, who knows, but there's a whole part that's missing right now. It's, involving these personality types or motivations or behaviors. It's the personalities working together. It's the group dynamics. Like there's so much we don't see or understand about how decisions get made in organizations right now that it's not surprising that we have a win rate that's 25%, 30%. And I really like that you hit on the dynamics between the different people in the deal because I think many times we do get caught up on talking to the individual, you know, sharing content with them, having conversations, but not necessarily focusing on how do they interact with each other and what are the conversations they're having behind the scenes that we're not privy to and how can we try to influence those by understanding how to leverage each person in the deal. In some ways, when deals get done, you got lucky. I, I honest to God, I wrote something years ago, got me in trouble, but it was like, if you hit somebody with your lead generation activities and you generate a lead, you're more likely to get lucky than you were strategic. You just happened to throw a big net and cast it out there and you caught somebody. So I think there's, a, there's so much opportunity right now. I don't want to be pessimistic. There's like, I'm very optimistic. There's ways for us to better understand people in the purchase decisions and understanding how that happens than there ever has been before. And it's all available for us. If we, we have to break this cycle though, of just volume and scale, it's crushing right now. And this idea of scaling everything, especially if you're dealing with like enterprise accounts, your biggest accounts, right? Why wouldn't, especially in recessionary kind of wins that we're facing right now, why wouldn't you focus your efforts on really, really, really driving opportunities through your biggest accounts? Yeah. And now, you know, on this podcast, I got to also talk to our, our marketing colleagues because, you know, it's all about sales and marketing alignment, which I believe is the entry point to really building a, a sustainable and, and high performing revenue engine. How can we use the concepts that we talk through on the marketing side when it comes to content and all the things that marketing does? Because I, I think there obviously is a play there as well. Yeah, it's funny. I, I'm a marketer. <laughs> I have an agency. And I spend time talking about sales, but everybody sells. Right. Marketing's yeah, goal is to true. sell anyway. So we may as well be talking about it from that standpoint, being specific around our content and what we create, not for getting it out the door, which I've seen that happen. Like it's funny years ago, we had a very hard time getting content created and now there's too much content. This next wave is the right content, right? It's getting the right content for the right buyer at the right situation. And as I mentioned, you don't have to create 16 different types. You create the preference, the preferred ones for the dominant personality types in your industry. So it can be short form, animated, right? We mentioned about how important that is for influencers. On the other side, challengers want research. They want data, right? They Anything that you produce that goes out the door has to be footnoted. Like you have your credible sources, right? Don't throw numbers out unless you can stand by them. It's about getting better at what we're producing. Some people like long form, deep content, as I mentioned, for dominance. They want to see themselves in whatever you're selling. They want to see themselves trying to implement it. So roadmaps for them, case studies that look like them, use cases are super important for them. You're creating all these things. It's just a matter of aligning it to the right audience. So it's specific for what their needs are or what they want to do with the content. Influencers want to send it someone, make it travel, make it light, make it easy. Add links for them to share it, right? Dominance want to see themselves in it. The champions that we talked about. I used to work with a client that had a client. They had a, one of the best programs I've ever seen. 
it was a customer reference and showcase program. And they used it for sales like no one else's. And what they did is they tracked the careers of people that work with them. And when they would sell you, they'd say, Jeff, look, you come on board with us. And if you're willing to speak at events or allow me to put out a press release about us winning this deal, I'll put you in case studies. I'll put you at an industry event. I'll make you a speaker for us at our industry event. I'll help promote your career. And they did. And they tracked it. And when they were selling, they were selling their product and they were selling your success. I love it. So last thought before we close out, because, you know, I, I feel like we could talk about this all day because I, I really, really, I don't even work for the company. I didn't even found the company. But like the minute I found about the work you were doing, like, this is exciting to me because I think it is the future of the way that I feel like we connect in B2B is really understanding the science behind how people think and not just trying to push out content or push out calls or push out communication. So for a revenue leader listening that is trying to transform the way they go about their business, what does, should they focus on and fundamentally making a shift about how they engage with the modern buyer? Don't just think of them as a rational decision maker. That's the first thing. They're not going to make decisions solely based on your ROI or what it's going to do to increase productivity, right? All those things, those business value that you communicate, it gets you in the consideration set. So yeah, like. I have a need and you have a solution. I got to make sure that's going to deliver on these things. And that's business value, right? Speed, speed, speech, your functionality, right? What differentiates you is connecting the personal value that they receive with that. And every personality type that I described, there's a personal win in for them. So think about how am I communicating that personal value to these buyers? So an influencer, they want to be seen as a smart person. They want to be the, the person in the know, like have the coolest, latest thing so they can be a source inside the organization. The dominant champions want career success. Steadies want to make sure everybody's living their best life. And the challengers want to learn something new and they want to do it in a way that enlightens them in a way that changes their thinking a little bit, but they got to make sure it's right. Like if I'm going to change my thinking, you better come strong with it, as you mentioned. And then maybe I'll think about things differently, but they don't have these personal wins in it. Right? You just need to think about how do I approach giving, this is the audience I'm addressing, how do I make it personal for them and make sure that they're achieving what they want personally and professionally? So how can listeners learn more about Scott and Carbon Design? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Jeff. I'm surprised you <laughs> waited to the very end. <laughs> I always wait to the very end. I got to make sure people listen to the whole conversation. No, I think people will actually be really interested in learning more about what you do. I'm glad you said that because it does take a while. This is different from what we've done. And so on carbondesign.com, under our, our solutions page, you'll find a whole section around personality-based marketing. And, and it's the concepts of different personality types and how they interact. And you'll see case studies in the very bottom. There are a bunch of resources available for you. So there's webinars, there are eBooks. And to that point, we'll include the eBook that Jeff, we mentioned about the blockers, the things that we talked about today, we've got an ebook for people that is coaching, right? There's, it's like, this is why they appear as, as a blocker, but this is what's really going on. And here's three tips for you, both from a sales and marketing perspective on how to navigate these blockers. So this is going to be a challenging year and I want to help people be successful. And so I think if you really start to drill into this, this is an untapped area that really can improve your performance. Love it. Well, great conversation, Scott. I appreciate you taking the time out and, and sharing about you know personality-based marketing and how we can think differently about connecting with those folks, those 17, well, really four people in the buying group. So I hope listeners got a lot of value out of it and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for listening to the Rev Engine Podcast. 
I hope today's episode provided you with some actionable insights that will help you begin the process of transforming your organization to a high-performing revenue engine. If you found today's episode valuable, we ask that you support the show's growth in three ways. First, share the episode with your friends and colleagues. Second, follow me on social media at Meet Jeff Davis on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And finally, give us feedback on who you'd like to see on the show next. That's all for this episode. We look forward to having you join us next time where we continue the conversation on how to build a high-performing revenue engine.